Hebrews 6 is where we are in our scriptures, and we're looking forward to uh, continuing our, uh, our study from last week and this whole concept of maturity and what we entitle remedial education. Remedial education, where we have to actually go back, we have to pick up some of the pieces which we didn't gather up the first time around. And so here's the writer, and this is what he is doing, because he's, uh, uh, he's explained to him, I want to tell you about the, the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's a priesthood after the man Melchizedek. But I can't tell you that because you're not ready to hear it. You're not ready to listen. You can't understand it. And so last week we talked about their lack of maturity, and then we talked about the measure of maturity, which had to do with diligence, for when you ought, you actually owe it to the church to be teachers, but you are not. And so we are to be diligent about our growth and the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to be teachers. You ought to be a didaskalos, the Greek word for teacher. You ought to be able to, to share this material with others, but you're still learning the very elementary things about the, the gospel, the very elementary things about the scriptures. Someone has to teach you all over again, but you also should be discerning. So the measure of maturity, as the writer has given it to us, is diligence, didaskalos, and discerning, having their, uh, who by reason of use, by reason of exercise, verse 14, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so they're been able to take that which they've learned and been able to apply it in a variety of manners and be able to uh, develop here within their own spirit a sense of what is right and wrong, specifically doctrinally. Not even just morally, but just doctrinally. And folks, we really need to be able to do that. When you hear terms like uh, social justice, uh, when you hear, hear terms about racial uh, reconciliation, all of the, a lot of the things which are being thrown out at us today, do we have a biblical understanding of what those things are about, or do we get sucked into the political agenda, which so many people are throwing at us, and we begin to be more influenced by the political than the spiritual? We have to be very, very careful. Because, I, again, we've warned us because of that which we've been exposed to and that which we've read. Too many churches are being more politically driven than what they are biblically driven. We have to be very careful. Really, really careful. So may God help us to maintain that focus and to make sure we're approaching this whole thing and life in general from the Bible as our foundation. Now, one writer looked at those things which we, we identified last week. He summed it up in four marks of spiritual immaturity. First of all was laziness or dullness toward the Word of God in verse 11. The inability to teach the Word to others, verse 12. A diet of only elementary truths in the Word and then a lack of skill in applying the Word. And that just gives us again an idea of what immaturity in the Scriptures is all about. We have to exercise our spirit. Uh, you've heard the uh, the phrase, uh, use it or lose it. And uh, so, so true, not just in the, in the uh, physical world of, uh, of, of our, our bodies and, and the development of those things. And, and as we get older, it, it becomes more and more of an issue. If you, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. But how much more so in our minds, in our spirits? 
that we're really not applying ourselves towards our study of the Scripture and digging deep ourselves, we're not going to gain anything and actually be on the verge of losing that which we have. Again, as we talked about last week, and we'll, some will end it this way probably again today, we are moving in some direction spiritually. We're not stagnant, we're moving. We're either decreasing or we're increasing. And we have to understand that and we have to work through that. Again, it's, folks, it's not about how many times you've gone through the Bible. It's about how many times the Bible's gone through you. And you need to be able to allow the Scripture just to work in and through us in a great way. When we get to chapter 6, we're looking at the exhortation to maturity. We've looked at the lack of maturity, the measure of maturity. Here's the exhortation to uh, maturity, verse 1. And here's the process which is going on. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. That's where we're at. He, he's interested in us uh, approaching maturity. He wants us to be of full age. He wants us to be complete. He wants us to, to reach the proper end. And this whole idea of perfection here is the idea of maturity. The Expositor's New Testament says, let us abandon or give up the elementary teaching. It says, let us leave. It's, a, it's an action that causes separation and requires a very decisive reaction, a very decisive, decisive action on our part. And in this particular case, for these particular readers, it is a decisive decision on their part to leave the Old Testament sacrificial system. They're, they're still in the elementary part. And they need to grow on, go on, and they need to press on. And so what he says, he says, let us... Let we ourselves, we have that responsibility to do so. Ephesians 4.13, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 1 Corinthians 14.20, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Be ye children in malice, but in understanding be men. One writer put it this way, it's time to get out of the nursery and into the infantry. It's time to press on. It's time to go on. It's time to leave behind the building blocks and playing with the blocks and getting on to other parts of life. Now, please understand this. Leaving does not mean to despise or to abandon the basic doctrines. Yes, there's a separation from those things, but that does not leave, mean we abandon those things, those things entirely. <coughs> leaving then is the idea of leaving them as a builder leaves the foundation in the process of erecting a building. He lays the foundation, but he can't continue to focus on the foundation anymore. He has to build the thing. And so the foundation is always there. He knows it is there because he's the one that built it. He knows it's there because he's the one that is, has framed it and done all that work. So he's not ignoring it. But the responsibility that he has now is to, to build the walls higher. But he can build those walls higher because he still has the foundation. 
And so when it talks about abandoning, it, it's a separating, but it doesn't mean that we totally forget those things. The text says to leave those things, not desert those things. So we, we never get over, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But we do go on to I'm pressing on the higher ground. You don't desert the fundamentals any more than the accountant deserts the math table. Or the builder deserts his foundation. But he says here in verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. That takes us back to, to verse 12, where he talks about the first principles of the oracles of God. That the writer here is referring to the basic Old Testament teaching that prepared the way for the Messiah. Again, one commentary says this, He who has not thoroughly turned himself to God will hardly get on well even with the elementary doctrine of Christ. The goal of Christian development is perfection. For the attainment of this goal, a striving is required which rests upon the reliable foundations and is rightly directed by the word of sound doctrine and by the supervision and discipline of church fellowship. So he says leaving. And by leaving, by separating ourselves from those things, by going on, let us press on, let us go on. Now it's also interesting, let us go on literally says let us be carried. Let us be carried. We have a responsibility now, so don't totally eliminate that aspect of it, but says, let us be carried. It's interesting, it's the same word that you have in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, where he talks about holy men of God spoke as they were, what class? Moved, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. The word moved there is to be carried along. And we've talked about that, as those who wrote the scriptures, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God, so everything they wrote was exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. He says, let us go on, let us to be carried along, and so we have to be borne along here by the spiritual truth into spiritual growth, ultimately unto perfection. I need to be carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. He who walks by the Spirit will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. I am dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God for me to go on here to this goal of perfection. So it is a move, not from, it is a move beyond the truth concerning his person and work that had been symbolized by all of the Old Testament sacrifices. And again, that's the, the crowd he's writing to here. That's what he wants them to focus upon here. In fact, Colossians chapter 2, verse 17 calls those, the, the, those things of the, of the priesthood in the Old Testament the shadow of things to come. You don't live in the shadow. Don't just focus on the shadow. We have the real substance here. And that is to where, our, where our life is to be planted. So the writer is moving his readers here beyond matters that are basically Jewish to the distinctive truths of Christianity. Again, Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. Talk about the, the purpose here of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The Old Testament was the, 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 the drawing that, that was to ultimately lead us along the path that was going to dump us at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So go beyond the elementary understanding of the difference between Judaism and Christianity. The gospel truths are the foundation for Christian living and should not be forgotten. Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 says we should build upon this foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Now, few of us look in the mirror and come to the conclusion that Hall of Famer quarterback Joe Namath had. During his heyday, he wrote a book, if you remember, I can't wait until tomorrow because I get better looking every day. Let me ask you a question. Are you spiritually better looking today than you were last week? Are, are you spiritually farther along today than what you were last week? The, the, the answer comes back to us, let us go on. Uh, are we going on? Are we pressing on? These readers here knew the teaching. They needed only to apply themselves to it. So that's the, the, the process here of what he's looking for. You, you separate yourself. You, you don't forsake them. You understand the, 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 the purpose of the foundation, but now you go on in, in every way. Now look at the principles here that he's talking about. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. He mentions six things here. And they seem to be six things here, but they're in couplets. They seem to be linked together in every way. So, as, uh, so the repentance of dead works and the laying and of the faith toward God. <clears throat> faith toward God, we understand, even from the Old Testament, Habakkuk. We have a quote in the book of Romans and others. The just shall live by faith. The, the, so, so faith was grounded there. Uh, Romans chapter 4, uh, Abraham, it's all about Abraham and, and his faith towards God, how he believed God and the, that God was going to provide the, the son that he ultimately promised. So it's, it's by faith that we are saved. That's an Old Testament teaching. And, and repentance and believing was preached by Jesus in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. It's just the essential foundation of what salvation was all about. But yet one doesn't continue repenting and trusting in Christ for eternal life. It's, it was settled once and for all, the moment of our salvation. But yet repentance and faith are interrelated because both have to do with this new attitude toward God. Faith toward God implicitly involves a, a faith in the through whom the, God the Father has sent, whom God the Father has spoken of, and that's how he began this book back in chapter 1. Repentance is the basis of right religious conduct. It's what uh, Paul was sharing with the elders in Acts chapter 20. I thought I had it written down, but I'm going to read it for us. Acts 20, verse 21, testifying both to Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 20, verse 21. It, now, this whole idea of repentance is, is, is a change of mind, but it's more than a change of mind. 
It's more than sorrow for conduct. Yes, it involves that, but it's, it's more than that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 says it's turning towards God. But what it is, repentance represents a total reorientation of one's whole life and personality. And includes the adoption of a new ethical line of conduct, the forsaking of sin, the turning to righteousness. And here he says it's the foundation of repentance from dead works, that, that reference to the ineffective Jewish sacrificial system and, and the Jewish law. All those sacrifices could not remove sin. It's interesting. The, the word dead works is only used twice in Scripture. The other time he's going to use it here in chapter 9, referring to one's sinful practices. So he said, you don't trust in acts ultimately that are leading to death. And yet that's all an unsaved person has, isn't it? Now, everything an unsaved person is involved with is, a, is an activity, whether it looks good or bad, that leads to death. No matter how good I'm going to look someday laying out in a casket. There'll be some semblance right how anybody looks. It's just there's some semblance there of of, of, of features of and, and, and really even the beauty of, of a living person to the dead. And that's what these dead works are all about. There's some semblance of a, a of life there, but ultimately it's it's a carcass. It's just a framework, it's just a Body is not that which is real. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 18, the message to the people were bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Now, not just a change of mind, not, not just a, uh, an attitude of sorrow, but in Matthew 3, 8, he says you bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Again, it's not just a change of mind, a whole change of direction. So he tells us, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. He's talking about this repentance here has intellectual and emotional and volitional ramifications for us. Intellectually, it's the awareness of the need for moral and spiritual cleansing. That's a whole changed view of my relationship to God. Emotionally, I feel the need that my mind, that what my mind knows. So I have a change even feelings towards God. Volitionally, then, there's an appropriate action based on what my mind knows and what my heart feels. And so I have a total changed purpose about life. From Eric Sauer in The Triumph of the Crucified. Too often that repentance is just a, a turning in a superficial fashion. It may fulfill the letter of the law, but it really doesn't fulfill the spirit. The spirit is still dead. Romans 2, verses 28 and 29 read this way, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Your repentance, your faith, foundational to be sure, but the question always is, did I repent? 
Am I needing repentance even today? Repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. Verse 2, a doctrine of baptism and laying on of hands. The doctrine of baptisms, literally, it says the teaching concerning ceremonial washings. Don't confuse this word for baptism for Christian baptism, because that's not what the, the, these readers were exposed with. These readers were familiar with the Old Testament washing. You walk into the house, you walk into the hut, and there's some bowls there, some basins there, and, and you wash your feet. There's all kinds of ceremonial washings that they were involved with. How do we know that? Because the word for baptism here is not the word that is the same used for Christian baptism. First of all, it is plural. And it's the, the, the wrong wording here. It's masculine instead of feminine to be more detailed. But here used in the scriptures and used in the New Testament, it has to do with ceremonial washings. We're going to see it again in chapter... Well, we see it here in chapter 6, verse 2. We're going to see it again in chapter 9, verse 10, for instance, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings. It's the same word there. And so he says, you lead the doctrine of these ceremonial washings. Those things were so much a part of your life. They were to teach you things, but then also this laying on of hands. This general indication of some endowment upon a person, of divine blessing, or perhaps even the work of the Holy Spirit of God. We know it's used many times in the New Testament. A common sign of blessing, it's a sign of healing, Mark 7. In the choice of the seven, there was a laying on of the hands, Acts, Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy 4, an ordination, even today, common thing for the laying on of hands to take place. Well, it's also used, though, to symbolize identification in the Old Testament sacrifice. And, you know, they, they, they come and lay their hands on the animal. And uh, uh, picturing the, the transferring of a, one's guilt onto that animal. And then that animal then was the sac sacrifice. You have that throughout the book of Leviticus. The writer here said, well, we're going beyond that. We're going past the repentance from dead works. We've got to get out of the shadows now and into the substance. Our faith must be genuine. It's not about ceremonial walls. It's not just about the laying on of hands. And he also talks about the resurrection of the dead and eternal life. Resurrection of the dead is prominent in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament doctrine. Not nullified by the New Covenant. And then the eternal judgment. Again, they, they understood that. They knew that. Again, one writer says, once again, this Old Covenant truth is reaffirmed in the New Covenant, both as to fact and duration, but now modified to emphasize the certainty that there is no condemnation for the one in Christ. Romans 8.1 So these are the things here which this writer identifies that these people need to now walk away from. Understand the purpose. But, but you're going beyond those. Yeah, they, they, the foundation's been laid, but now we've got to build upon that. And again, this was their exposure. This was their, their, uh, their, their upbringing. This is, what they, this is what they knew prior to their coming to the, Jesus as the Messiah. Then verse 3, we talk about the permission, and this we will do if God permits. That seems kind of strange, huh? <clears throat> Why wouldn't God want them to grow on? 
Why, why wouldn't God want them to press on? Why wouldn't God enable them to, to move on to maturity? Well, again, I, I think we have to go back in, in here to the context of that which he's been telling us now. Remember the quotations back in chapter 3, verse 11. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Individuals who, who, who came out of Egypt because of, but because of their unbelief did not enter in. Because of the, the laziness and their dullness of hearing did not enter in. And so I think here's a hint about the spiritual dullness here again of these readers. Their lack of repentance of spiritual laziness may preclude the Spirit of God from carrying them along to maturity. They may be their own worst enemy. Their laziness, their dullness, their, their, their lack of desire to grow may ultimately cause God to say, okay, you're not interested? Your time is up. Oh, you're not interested? It's not going to happen at all. See, the implication being clear here that they could harden their hearts to the extent that they would have no more desire to even hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And to go on into this chapter then, I think that shows the impossibility when we get into next week in verses 4, 5, and 6. The impossibility for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance. The problem is not in the grace of God, the problem is in the dullness of the world. So I think he's giving them a warning again. Yeah, it is here. The possibility of going on for the cause of Christ is yours. But if you don't even repent of the dullness and the laziness that you have demonstrated thus far in the, in the teachings here of the Scriptures, your heart could easily become hard enough you have absolutely no desire for it. Folks, that's a warning for you. That, 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 that should raise our antenna. That, that should get our attention. I do not have the luxury of becoming lazy about my approach to Scripture. I do not have the, the, the luxury of, of uh, being negligent in my relationship here to the Word of God. Maybe some of you owe it to the church. You should be teaching now. Maybe some of you... Uh, uh, find yourself in, in need of milk and not as strong meat. Now, I'm not going to say you're going to understand every little thing out there. You can, you know, wrestle with this issue or that issue and be able to um, uh, be a, a Ravi Zacharias and uh, an R.C. Sproul and so many of these guys who've come down the pike and, and so many others out there who just have a tremendous grasp of, of, of the Scriptures and be able to stand and be able to debate with the best of them. Uh, I sit in awe of those guys. But I'm not on that stage. I'm not on that platform. I'm in London. I'm in Madison County. I'm in Ohio. 
There's not too many of those people out there. I just need to be able to communicate to them the gospel. <clears throat> and in the day and age in which we live, I need to be grounded and, and, uh, and, and know the gospel inside and out. Because as I'm talking to these people and they're <clears throat> excuse me, dealing with all of these, these issues and, and all the, being bombarded with all the, all the terminology, we need to be able to cut through the chase and say you need the gospel. It's not about whatever color the skin is and whether that life matters or not. It's about the gospel. The gospel will bring about reconciliation because that's what the gospel does. When, when Jesus came, the, uh, the, 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 uh, Ephesians tells us that, that the wall of separation between Jew and Greek was shattered. And even now we're looking at uh, the Scriptures and we're looking at, you know, there is no bond, there is no free, Scythian, whatever else the case might be. We're all in this together. That's what the Scripture is able to tell us. That's the foundation of which we are building upon. The lack of maturity, the measure of maturity, the exhortation to maturity. Folks, we've talked about it before. We're moving spiritually in some direction. Either forward or backward. I vote we press on. Heavenly Father, we're asking for your mercies upon us this day so that this truth would become genuinely ours so that this text is able to be understood, able to be tucked away in our mind, and ultimately, we move on from this text. This has been a warning for us. It has been a wake-up call for us. And, and Lord, all of us are to be teachers. That doesn't mean everybody has a gift of teaching. That does not mean everybody can stand up and before a, a group of people and clearly uh, communicate what's on their heart and, and their understanding of, of, of the Scripture. That there are people who, are, who know the Word of God and know it inside and out. But they're not able to do so in a public domain. But Lord, all of us ought to be able to, in those relationships which God has granted to us, to be able to communicate what we understand about the Scripture, about the Word of God. Lord, it's, 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 it's okay for us to be able to communicate clearly and it's right and proper for us to be able to have that heart of compassion for that individual who's, who's lost. Individuals who've gotten sucked up into all of the other junk and garbage which is out there. And, and we have the, the privilege of opening the Scriptures and pleading with the Holy Spirit of God to open their eyes, open their mind of understanding, open their heart. And what a thrill it is to be able to see an individual come to the understanding that their lives have been exposed 
and there's hope in Jesus. Oh Lord, I pray for our country. But Lord, I also pray for us and all believers. Because this very well could be God's means of, of causing us to separate our total dependence upon a particular law or a particular group of people to stand on our behalf. This may be the opportunity for us to truly realize Jesus is our fortress. That He is our strong tower and we run to Him for our safety and for our security. And so Lord, I pray that this will cause us to deepen our roots. Deepen our understanding. And Lord, that in and of itself will drive us to the Scriptures to be diligent about that which we find here so that we can truly teach others. So that I can be discerning. I can demonstrate characteristics of spiritual maturity. Let us press on. May the Holy Spirit carry us along and He can carry us as long as we are willing to be carried. But Lord, once we allow laziness and dullness of hearing to overtake, we're in trouble. So Lord, I'm praying for us, each and every one. We do this right. Help us to finish well this life. And Lord, I pray that each and every day, spiritually, we become better looking because we're more like Jesus. Amen.